Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Uh, my name is Laramie, and I have been hanging around, uh, around the other leaders here at Renaissance for a very, very long time. So I know a lot of you know me, and a lot of you have had conversations with me. Some of you are my dear friends, but um, I know there's some people in the room who probably have no clue who I am. So for those people, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a background into where I'm from um, and uh, what I do. I was born and raised in Decatur, Illinois, and I went to college here as well. I graduated from Millican University. Any Millican kids? Yeah. <laughs> I graduated from Millican University in 2010 with a degree in studio art, which sounds cool. It sounds like I spent my time in like a recording studio or um, doing something techie, but that is not at all what I did. I spent my four years in college in a five foot by six foot room called an art studio, and I I spent my time in there sketching and thinking about drawing and reading about drawing and studying about drawing and sometimes actually getting to the point where I got to draw. Um, you can get a degree in that. And um, I'm really, really thankful that my parents um, just supported me through college and helped me do exactly that. I have a really awesome husband. His name is Jared. And I know that a lot of you have never seen him, especially at the 6 p.m. And that is because he goes to the morning gatherings and he spends almost every single Sunday working next door with our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. He volunteers there as a teacher. He is a phenomenal teacher. And he has a real passion for teaching kids about who Jesus is and how they can get to know him better. In two days, it's going to be our eight-year anniversary. We'll be married for eight years. Yep. And in those eight years, we've managed to keep two children alive, which is really saying something if you know who I am. We have a six-year-old girl named Poppy. Um, she is very squishy in her emotions. She feels everything. Um, she feels all the feels. And the problem with that is that I feel no feels at all. And so it's been very difficult to try to figure out what it looks like to have this kid who feels everything. So she's super lucky that she has Jared, my husband, because he's just like an interpreter between the two of us. And on the far other side of Poppy, I have my two-year-old named Guster. And um, Guster feels no feels. He is a lot like me. He's hard-headed and determined and fast and rough and tough. Um, it's kind of like a cannonball has come to life and has moved in with us and has been living there for the past two years. Um, just the other day, Jared and I were hanging out in the kitchen and we heard this big loud thud in our living room. And I look over and there is like this little uh, toddler fist sized imprint in the wall. 
And up until today, I believed that he had punched through the wall. And then over lunch today, actually, my husband was like, Laramie, he didn't punch the wall. He threw a toy, which is even more impressive <laughs> in, in my eyes. I think that's more impressive that he did that. Um, so it's been really, really interesting having these two kids that are just two completely different human beings um, that Jared and I are trying to deal with and trying to raise. Uh, like I said earlier, I've been around Renaissance for a very long time. I've actually been here for longer than we've had the name Renaissance. And it was about eight years ago when I got a text from Jeff and Stacy that said, hey, when you get off work, would you come to this address? It's in downtown Decatur. We think we've found a building. Now, this was really exciting because up until this point, we were just the Bible study that met in Jeff and Stacy's living room. And then we outgrew that and we became the Bible study that met in Jeff and Stacy's basement. And then we outgrew that again and we became the Bible study that played church once a month at the Arts Council. Once a month, we would rent out the third floor of the Arts Council. We would load in tech and PA and lights. The band would practice. They would get up and play a couple of songs. And then as soon as they were done, and as soon as Jeff was done talking, we had to load everything out almost as quick as possible because we had only rented the space for a certain amount of time. Back then, if you were getting to know someone, if someone was new and they had showed up to Renaissance, you were getting to know them while stacking chairs next to them. You were getting to know them while carrying tables to the elevator and down the stairs. So I was extremely excited about having a building. It meant, number one, we never have to set up chairs ever again. <laughs> but it also meant that we were going to have a home. We were going to have a place where we could hang out and get to know other people. And this whole idea of a church plant, whatever that meant back then, might actually happen for us. I will never forget walking through that door for the first time. When I walked in, Jeff and Stacy were kind of milling around the room and they were looking at things and, you know, saying, what if we did this here? What if we put a stage here? And eventually they worked their way around to me and Jeff said, you know, Laramie, what do you think? And there was not a lot to think about this room. It was a hot mess. The floor was this neon orange and red speckle, like these little dots. And if you did not look directly at it, it moved. Like it looked <laughs> like it was moving. You could play the floor as lava in here and you would believe the floor was actually lava. And one of the first things I saw when I walked in, we had these um, seafoam green velour pews that were kind of set up like this. And I was like offended by them. <laughs> like I came in and was like, those are the first thing that have to go. I walked up to one of them and kind of like shoved it with my hip to be like, move, like just to assert my dominance over it as a pew. And it didn't move. They were bolted to the ground. I don't know if that's like a normal church thing, um, but they were bolted to the ground. The ceiling right here was caved in completely. And anywhere where the ceiling wasn't caved in, the um, paint on the ceiling was coming off in sheets. But I was still excited. I was still optimistic, thinking this could be something. And then Stacy asked me to help her pick out paint colors. Now that's actually kind of crazy because Jeff and Stacy did not know a lot about me at this point in time. They knew Jared. Jared and I had been dating for quite a long time, um, but they didn't know me. Probably one of the only things they knew about me was that I was going to school to be an artist. And apparently that's all they needed to know to open this door and ask me to help them pick paint colors. 
And I don't know if they knew exactly what they were getting themselves into when they opened that door. Just a couple months after they asked me to do that, I would be asking them for the permission to build five foot tall plaster trees out of chicken wire and old t-shirts and then setting them on the side of the stage and calling it stage design. And they let me do that. A couple months after that, a friend of mine, she's actually here, it's crazy, Rihanna's here, her and I would drive to a rest area outside of town and take every free map we could get our hands on, bring them here, assemble a team of 10 folding girls, and we would fold over a thousand paper cranes, hang them from the ceiling in this room and all throughout the gallery. And Jeff and Stacy let me do that too. For the past eight years, they've been letting me do the weirdest things. <laughs> They really have. <laughs> and I have to thank them because um, I don't think I would be here if they would not have let me do those things. I had a little bit of a rough go of it in college. I was raised in the church. My parents gave me a really solid foundation on who Jesus was. But when I got into college, I ran full force towards this thing called art. I wanted to be an artist. And the harder I pushed towards being an artist, the harder it was to see myself inside of a church because it felt like the church had no place for me. Not only did they have no place for me, they didn't know what to do with me. And Jeff and Stacey showed me that there was a spot for me and that they could do something with me. Eight years ago, I chose the color red for this room. And today I stand before you guys prepared to answer this question. Of all of the things that I've learned about who God is. That one thing that I wanna share with you guys today is that God is insanely creative. He is crazy creative. He is always doing the wildest things. And I think right off the bat, there's gonna be a little bit of a hiccup or a miscommunication between you and me because you're probably thinking, well, this is obvious and predictable. Laramie is gonna get up there and she's going to talk about creativity. But what does that have to do with me? Well, it has everything to do with you. Let me remind all of us that we are all creative. We were created in the image of a creative God. We cannot get away from it. And if we believe that God is creative, if we say we believe that God is creative, it changes everything about how we interact with him. Because a God who is creative is able to handle the worst moments of your life. The dark things that you keep to yourself, that you think that you can control, we would be more willing to let go of these things whenever we believe that God is creative and he can handle it. Our God is insanely creative. And because he's creative, so are we. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this moment right here. I thank you that we all get the chance to be in this room, that we all get the chance to hear something, anything from you. And God, I pray that anything that I say, um, if it doesn't belong here, God, I pray that you would just filter it out, that you would take it out of my mouth and that what we hear today is from you and from you alone. We only want it to be about you. Amen. So 
Before I go any further, I think it's important that I define the word create because I want us to have this common definition. I'm going to say this word a lot over the next 30 minutes, and I want all of us to understand exactly what I'm talking about when I say it. Because when I say creative, you're probably thinking of something in the artistic realm. You're thinking of something like a photographer or an artist or a musician or an author. Maybe you're thinking of someone like me who is um, an artist and a drawer, Um, but that is not what the word creative means. See, I am standing before you guys. I'm an artist, and I'm telling you that that word was never ours to take away from you. It was never our word to make exclusive to what we as artists are able to do because all it means is to bring things into existence. So being a creative is the ability to do exactly that. The first time that we see the word creative in the Bible is in the very first sentence. It's Genesis 1, 1, and it says, in the beginning, God created. And what he's doing here is he's bringing things into existence. He creates the heavens and the earth. He brings them into existence. He creates light, which then brings day and night into existence. The birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the ground, all of these things he's bringing into existence. And then he creates us. And it says that he made us in his image. Now, I looked into what this means, looked a little deeper into it, because my understanding of it wasn't complete. When I grew up, I grew up in a Baptist church, and I believed that to be made in God's image just simply meant that if I had two hands, then he had two hands. I looked like him. If I had a nose, then he had a nose. But the original text actually could be better translated as being meaning um, to be made as the essence of God, That we are a picture of what he looks like, but we're also a picture of who he is. And at this point in Genesis, all we know about God is that he creates. We don't know anything else about him. We don't know that he's good. We don't know that he's loving or that he's a provider or a protector. All we know is that God creates how could we deny that we have the ability to to do so as well? We were made to be the essence of what he can do. Right off the bat, God creates this um, creative protocol with his people. It's like a way that he interacts with them. And um, whenever he makes something, when God creates something, he uses it to inspire his people and then he invites them to respond to him by creating. Now there's two examples in um, Genesis I'm going to use. There are thousands of examples throughout the Bible, but I'm just going to stay here because I think it's really neat how God interacts with his very first creations. So I'm going to be in Genesis 1, 28. It says, God blessed them. This is Adam and Eve. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. What God is saying here is look at all the things that I've done. Look at all the things that I've created and now you go and do things. You be fruitful. You multiply. He's inspiring them to create in response to them. Another example of this is just a couple of verses later. I'm in Genesis 2, 19. This says, the Lord God formed from the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. God doesn't create 
the names of the animals. He lets Adam do it. He says, look at all the things that I've made here. Now you create in response. Have I inspired you? Now you name them. I think God wants to see what does his creative essence look like when it comes from his created beings. He provides the inspiration and he provides the tools and then we create in response to that. We use those things to create. And it doesn't have to be something artistic. It can be, but more times than not, it's not. The French fry is a perfect example of a creation. (laughs) It's something that was brought into existence and it was made using using a God-given tool, which is a potato. The potato added with the creativity of an early 1600s Belgian fishing town brings the French fry into existence. And it's not like its creation stops there. It's not like once the French fry is created, we can't do anything else with it because now that is a new tool. And 300 years after the French fry is created, that tool is added with the tool of Texas toast and melted cheese (laughs) and ground beef. And in Springfield, Illinois, the horseshoe is born. (laughs) It's truly a picture of God-given creativity. (laughs) Now, both of those things that I just used as an example, both of those things are things that you can see, that you can touch, you can taste. They're products, right? Like, we can see those things. So we might be tempted to think that creativity results in something that we can see, but that's not necessarily true. It can be a philosophy or an idea. Democracy is a created thing. That is something that we brought into existence. God has created his people to be creative. And God's creativity does not stop at in the beginning. Throughout the Bible, we happen upon him doing the wildest and most creative things. He's always getting himself into these weird creative adventures. And one of those moments happens in Exodus 16. At this point, we're talking about the Israelites. And the Israelites are this um, tribe of people whom God loves, has been watching over there. Um, he's they're kind of like his like, special group of people whom he loves. And at this point, he has delivered them from Egypt. They have been in slavery in Egypt. Now, if you want to prove to yourself that God is creative, check out how he did that. But I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be after they get out. I'm going to be when they're wandering around in the wilderness. God has delivered them, and now they're wandering around in the middle of nowhere looking for a place to call home. And in this moment things start to get very rough for them because they start to starve. And they cry out to God and they say, God, why are we starving? Why would you take us out of Egypt just to place us in the middle of nowhere and now we have nothing to eat? At least when we were in Egypt, yes, we were being beaten, but at the end of the day, we got to give food to our kids. Now we're in the middle of nowhere and we're all going to die. And God hears his people and he wants to help. So he intervenes, and he gets creative. In Exodus 16.4, the Lord says to Moses, as Moses is the leader of the Israelites, says, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. God is going to rain food down from the sky. If that's not creative, I don't know what is. 
It's so creative that we have an entire children's franchise built on just this idea. It's cloudy with a chance of meatballs. <laughs> it is one of my favorite books. I loved it growing up. I loved the idea of it storming hamburgers and snowing mashed potatoes. There is this one illustration in the original book where um, there's a family and they're going to go out together for a family dinner and they go to this restaurant and when they walk in, there's no ceilings on the restaurant and they just walk to their table and hold their plates and wait for food to rain down from the sky. But that's fake. This actually happened. God actually rained food down from the sky. In Exodus 16, 14, it says, when the dew evaporated... A flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. And the Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. Even after God had told Moses it's food, they were still like, we don't know what this is. And in response to what God has done around them, God has created this crazy thing they create in response. They come up with a name, just like Adam did earlier. They come up with a name and they name it manna, which literally translates into what is it? <laughs> I mean, they weren't being like terribly creative, but they're trying. <laughs> and it wasn't just the delivery method of this stuff that was creative. The nature of it was really creative too. See, manna had these really flighty expiration dates. Five days of the week, manna lasted for 24 hours. That's it. Every morning it fell. Every morning they had to go out and gather it. And at the end of the day, the Bible says that it would rot, grow putrid, and worms would show up in it. That's five days. On the sixth day, though, twice as much manna falls, and it lasts for, for 48 hours, twice as long. And why is that happening it's because God has already solved another problem creatively and he's taking this solution and he's fit, um, fitting it right into the other one. It's the solution of the Sabbath. God wants his people to rest. So he tells them six days of the week you work, but on the seventh day of the week you don't. You don't even go out and collect manna. And I'm gonna make sure that manna adheres to this rule so that you still get your rest when I'm also feeding you. It says the Israelites did not believe that their kids and their grandkids would even believe that God had done this. They were worried that they wouldn't believe them because it was such a baffling idea and a, just a creative thing. And God says, well, let me help you out with that. You collect all the manna that you want and you put it in this jar and I will make sure that that manna never expires. It says in the Bible that the Israelites ate this for 40 years. Now, I like lasagna just as much as the next guy. But after 40 years of eating lasagna, I'm going to get pretty creative to how I start to work with lasagna. I'm going to get pretty creative in response to all of that lasagna. Now, what I'm about to say is not in the Bible. But I imagine manna cookbooks. I do. And I imagine for the gluten intolerant, like a gluten-free manna cookie and a sustainably sourced manna burrito bar. <laughs> and I don't think it's too crazy for us to think about those things because we as humans naturally create. When God does something, we create in response to it. It's just who we are. It's just what we do. 
When I was 14 years old, I decided that when I grew up, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And so I went to my dad and I said, dad, I want to be a vet. And being the good dad that he is, he called up a friend of his who is a vet and asked him if I could shadow with him for the day. So this vet says yes, and one morning I'm getting into my dad's pickup truck, and he's driving me to this vet's office, and he drops me off. Now, like, the first half of the day is pretty boring. I uh, clean out some dog cages. I feed some dogs. And really, um, the most interesting thing I did that day was I helped to give a dog a shot. And it was fun because he was a St. Bernard, and I was a little 14-year-old girl. So I had to lay down on top of him while the vet gave him a shot. Rolling into lunch, I haven't done a lot of interesting things, but I'm still convinced that this is what I'm going to do. At the end of lunch, the vet comes to me and he says, Laramie, we have a real treat for you after lunch. We're going to neuter a dog. And I'm like, yeah. Yes, we are. I will be the only 14-year-old girl who can say I have neutered a dog. I'm destined for veterinary greatness at this point. So after lunch, I put on my gloves, I have a little operating mask, and I go into the OR, and they roll in the same St. Bernard that I've helped give a shot to. The vet gets in his spot, and I get in mine so I can see everything that he's about to do. He picks up the scalpel, and he makes the very first incision, and I pass out. Just go down. When I woke up, I was in another room and I was propped up in the corner. Like they had just kind of like, <laughs> And a, a receptionist comes in and she says, hey, sweetie, you passed out. And we called your dad. He's on his way. So I'm like, all right. Dad gets there, pulls up in the pickup, and I do the walk of shame out to my dad's truck. I have failed him. And I get into the passenger seat of the truck and my dad says, the blood made you pass out, didn't it? I did not know that that's what made me pass out. I couldn't figure it out. I thought, well, maybe I didn't eat enough. But it was. It was the blood that made me pass out. And my dad knows that because it makes him pass out too. My dad and my brother and I are the fainting goats of humans. <laughs> if we see blood, we're down. I share other really weird things with my dad, too. Like, um, he's very hard-headed. I'm very hard-headed. My kid, Gus, he's very hard-headed. My dad says I deserve him. <laughs> my dad's also a starter of things. He's started um, multiple companies that are successful, and I love to start things, too. I love new things and new ideas. My dad hates hugs, and I hate hugs. And there was never a point when I was growing up when my dad sat me across the table and said, Laramie, when you see blood, this is what you do. That never happened. My dad did not have to teach me to be like this. It's just who I am. I'm his kid. He is my dad and I am his daughter and it's just naturally who I am. God does not teach you how to create. It's just who you are. You are his sons and his daughters. Creating is a natural thing for you. Right now, you can go to this place in San Francisco. It's called The Mill. It's a bar. But you won't go there to get drinks. You'll go there to get toast, like the bread, toast. 
It's a toast bar, and you can go there to get a $7 piece of artesian toast. If humankind today feels the need to reinvent what toast looks like, you cannot tell me that all those years ago that the Israelites weren't reinventing manna. It's just what we do. When God does something around us, it inspires us to create in response to who he is. And how great is it that we have such a creative God? Someone who can look into your circumstances and when he sees it, he is so individualistic and poignant and creative with his approach to you. Later on in the Bible, we've gotten ourselves into trouble again. We've been creating things, but we've been creating the wrong things. See, we created sin. That is something that we brought into existence. And the ramifications of it, we cannot handle. We are so far away from our original intention. And there's nothing that we can do on our own to get back to him. And God hears his people and he wants to intervene. So he gets creative again and he sends Jesus. I'm gonna be in John 6, verse 48. And Jesus is speaking here. He's speaking to a large crowd of people and he tells them, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven and anyone who eats this bread will live forever. In this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Now, first of all, Jesus is being really creative here. He could just say, look, you all made terrible mistakes and there's nothing that you can do to get back. And so here I am and I am going to save you. The same way that manna saved your ancestors, your need is that great. You're starving, but I'm here. And when Jesus speaks to people throughout the New Testament, he's always speaking in this weird way. He's speaking in parables or stories. He's not um, just coming right out and saying it. There's multiple instances in the New Testament where the disciples are like, Jesus, just spit it out. Like, just what do you want me to do? I'll do it. But Jesus doesn't do that. He paints these verbal pictures. He takes something from their past, something that is so crazy they couldn't possibly forget it. It's manna. And he brings it into their present and he says, this is the situation. And why does Jesus speak like that? I think he speaks like it because he knows that we are creative beings that possess the uh, ability to interpret creative things. He knows that we like wonder we like aha moments, don't we? Is there anyone here who is a Westworld fan that would like admit that they're a Westworld fan? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Guys, you're missing out. <laughs> so it's Westworld season right now. It's season two. And um, tonight we have episode seven. And I'm really excited about it. Um, when it's this kind of season, it's like, why when I'm done with here, I am gone. Because I have to be home by 8 p.m. because I am watching Westworld. And the reason why I like this show so much is because there are so many opportunities in it for me to go, aha. In any episode, there are like five instances where I can go, oh my gosh, I get it now. And I put it together in my brain and I have all these theories and then they're being proven. And I love that. And I think Jesus knows that we love to come to these moments. We love having aha moments. So whenever he speaks and whenever he heals and whenever he does things, he does it in creative ways. 
He doesn't just snap his fingers and heal a blind man. He spits into the dust, makes mud out of it, wipes it into the guy's eyes, whatever that is about, and then brings his healing into existence from that. And then there's a story of him feeding 5,000. We kind of know that story, right? Like, he has this huge group of people who's been following him around for a long time. He's been teaching. And at some point, he looks at them and he realizes, wow, okay, at this point, these guys are a long way from home, and I want to feed them. And in this moment where he wants to feed them, he invites some of his disciples into the creative process with him. So we're going to read that. It's going to be in John 6, verse 5. It says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, the first guy, he asks, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. And then Andrew, second guy, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? See, Philip is operating in the finite. Philip says, we don't have money. We're not going to get enough money. There's nothing we can do. Case closed, Jesus. But Andrew is being more creative. Andrew's thinking outside the box. He's looking for a tool, and he finds one in this little boy who has some fish and some loaves of bread. And Andrew doesn't know what to do with it. He says, what good is this? But Jesus uses Andrew's hunch, and that's what he uses to feed 5,000 people. I don't want to be like Philip. I don't want to work with only what I have in front of me. I don't want to operate in the finite because God doesn't operate in the finite. He's infinite. If we were to be operating in the finite, being like Philip, when I walked in these doors eight years ago, then what good would any of our efforts have been if all we had to work with were some seafoam green pews that were bolted to the ground in a ceiling that was caving in what fun is that? I want to be like Andrew. I want to have a hunch and trust that God is big enough to take my hunch and feed 5,000 people. It's to that group of 5,000, that same group of 5,000 that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am manna sent from heaven. I think what he's doing there is he's inviting them into a much bigger creative endeavor I think that we have been, been invited into a much bigger creative endeavor. See, we're too far away from our original intention. And there's nothing that we can do to get back to him on our own. So God hears his people. He wants to help and he intervenes and he sends manna from heaven. He sends Jesus and the world asked, what is it? The world is still asking, what is it? Some of your family members are asking you, what is it? Some of my friends are still asking me, what is it? What is it about you that's different now, Laramie? Why don't you act the way you used to act when we were in college? What is it in, it, in you that is changed now? And we know the answer. We know the answer to what is it. We know that it's Jesus. Jesus is our inspiration. God has done something huge. And when he sends Jesus, we respond to that by creating. 
When I was um, preparing for this talk, the thing I'm doing right now, um, <laughs> I've been very, very nervous about it. Um, I think any of you who have talked to me over the last month and you've been all excited for me and you've been like, it's going to be great. And I've been like, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> it's not going to be awesome. I've been so nervous. And it's not nervous about really being on the stage and being in front of you guys. I mean, you guys are my friends. You know, I'm not nervous about the speaker or the mic or the lights or anything. Um, what I'm really nervous about is I do not want to say anything from here that is not true. I don't want to say something that's not from God. I am very passionate about creativity. It's kind of my thing. <laughs> and for the last eight years, I have been following it nonstop. Eight years ago, someone told me that Jesus loved artists, and I have just put my nose down and tried to figure that out ever since. So it would be very easy for me to take all of my passion and bring it up here and place it on top of God's truth. It would be easy for me to make my thing the one thing, but I don't want to do that. I want to make him the one thing. So leading up to this, so many times when I've had an idea and I've jotted it down and well, maybe I'll talk about that. And I've had some other idea and maybe I'll talk about that. I've just distrusted them because I'm so afraid that something that I say is from me and not from him. And I've told my friends, I don't know if this is from him. A couple of weeks ago, I was working on the third floor of this building, and I was sweeping up debris and throwing it down the chute out into the dumpster. And when I got done, I came downstairs, and I went back into my office next door. And when I got there, there was a book um, that was sitting on my desk with a Post-it note on it. Someone had come by and left this on my desk. And it said, Laramie, read pages 37 to 48. May help with talk. I'll take whatever I can get. So... <laughs> I looked at the book, and um, it's not about creativity. I'm like, oh, strike one. So then I look at the chapter, and the chapter is kind of about creativity, but not really at all, strike two. But I decided to read it anyway, and whenever I got into the center of this, this chapter in a book not about creativity, there was a sentence that said, Christians are called to be the most valiant of creatives. Someone else has another hunch like I do. God's talking to someone else out there too. I'm not the only one. And why are we supposed to be valiant? Why are we the most valiant of creatives? It's because we have the answer to what is it. We never have writer's block. We never have nothing to create in response to. We have Jesus Christ and everything that he's done. And all we do is respond to him. We do not create things for God. He does not need it. He doesn't need it from you. We create things in response to God because the world needs to see it. We have the ability to bring things into existence, things like hope and truth and love in the lives of our friends and family. Those are things that we have the ability to do, and we do that because we are creatives. God is insanely creative, and that changes absolutely everything for you. 
It changes how you think about him. It changes how big he actually is, how capable he actually is. It changes how you interact with him and how you trust him. It also changes everything about who you are because if God is creative, then sorry about you, you're creative too. And you can't get away from it. And if you are creative, then it changes everything about the world around us because we're responding to what he's doing around us. And the world cannot help but take notice. I wish I had like a five-step program for you guys that was like, okay, next, go to Hobby Lobby. Second, go to here, you know? But I really do not. I don't know what to do to tell you guys to do next in order to be creative because I don't even know myself. I'm like Andrew in that I have these hunches. Like I have these moments where I feel like God is showing me things about what creatives are and what they're not but I don't know what to do with it. I just have to trust that Jesus is able to take it from there and move it forward. We're gonna have the band come back up. Most of you know the drill. They're gonna come up and they're going to sing about three more songs. During this time, if you wanna chat, if you wanna talk about this, um, go on out that door into the back um, room. There is a prayer room back there and we have people out there and the way that they create is by praying. But if you stay in here and you really need that next step, if you really need me to help you with that next step, then what I would suggest is that you actually worship because that is a response. That is a creation they're gonna come up here and they're gonna play and we have the chance and the opportunity to respond to the things that God is doing around us now, the things that he's done in the past and the things that he will still do for us in the future. We use our mouths to create. We bring things into existence. Let's pray. God, I thank you for being creative. I thank you that um, you have got it, that you're big enough and you're creative enough that I don't have to worry about what happens tomorrow, that I don't have to worry about happens, um, what's happened in my past and the things that I've done and all the crappy situations that we've been through, God. We don't have to worry about it right now because if we can just hang on to you being creative, if we can grasp exactly what that means, God, then it's going to be okay. And I thank you that we are also creative, that we have the ability to do this crazy, weird thing where we bring things into existence, God. And yeah, most of us in the room do not know what that means and we don't know what to do with that, but God, you do. Give us hunches. Give us a hunch and then help us whenever we don't have enough faith to believe that you can take it forward, God. Give us the faith to believe that you can take it forward. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. 
Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.